0: Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries hosting alongside Jake Deemer, and uh, welcome back, Jake. We missed you last week.
1: Thanks. That was a lot of fun to listen to at this time instead of uh, instead of being instead of hosting. But I did have a gripe that you guys were hating on my pitchers, namely oh. Rodriguez and Marcus Stroman. What's up with that? Hating on them? I don't know about I
0: I can't say hating on them. You're you're specifically referring to us calling them back-end starters? Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, I'm just messing with you. I don't really. It, it's not a
0: big deal. No, I know you're messing, but at the same time, like they have been really good, you're right. Both of them. I guess Stroman isn't technically your pitcher anymore. But back-end was a relative term when you have guys like Jacob Degrom, Garrett Cole, Zach Allen, and Jack Flaherty on your roster. I don't necessarily <laughs> think that for as good as Erod and Stroman have been pitching. I don't. I I couldn't call them uh, pitchers on the same level or ahead of any of those four. But that's, that's fair. fair. <laughs> Regardless, let's let's jump into episode five, uh, our week four edition of this fantasy baseball podcast for best player wins. And this week, just like always, we're going to do a prior week recap. We will also be talking about trades that have happened since last week's episode. We are going to look ahead to this week's matchups. And of course, we're going to end on some news and notes. But this week, we're also going to do some fun player analysis. So let's go ahead and and jump right into it, Jake. Who did you have? Um, And this week, I think that we did have quite a quite a few to choose from as opposed to last week where everything kind of went as I expected it to, who'd you have for your biggest upset
1: coming out of week three? I'm going to, I'm going to go with the one that Jordan called with nothing to back it up. And that is Eddie over Sam. And uh, they both did it. They both didn't really uh, have the highest scoring of weeks this week. Uh, Sam left Moustakas in his lineup, not really his fault because I think they put him on IR after the games had already started and he only got two, two and a half points from Charlie Blackman, despite him playing at home all week. Uh, Sonny Gray blew up. Eddie got some big weeks from Lizardo and Pittsburgh Pirates closer Richard Rodriguez. He probably got more saves that week than he will for the next month. But uh, yeah, so it, it was a really low scoring game, it was really close at the end. But uh, Jordan called it. Eddie, Eddie beat Sam.
0: Yeah, and first I want to comment, Richard Rodriguez, it's great for the Pirates. Same with Adam Frazier. Uh, The players for the Pirates are doing exactly what they need to do for the Pittsburgh Pirates, which is raising their trade value so that, you know, hopefully the Pirates can get a decent prospect or two out of these guys. So I'm actually really happy about uh, both Frazier and Richard Rodriguez specifically. I had the same biggest upset of Eddie beating Sam. After getting off to a strong 3-1 start behind a rotation of Aaron Nola, Zach Greinke, Tyler Malley, Sonny Gray, and now adding Max Freed, Kyle Hendricks, Armand Marquez, and Trey Turner, despite, and I know Turner's not part of the rotation, but another big name that Sam added regardless. Despite chipping off Aaron Savale and Rafael Devers to do so, I thought that Sam's team was only getting stronger and stronger with each passing week. Now, on the other hand, I admittedly have come on the other side of each trade that Eddie has made so far this season, if the goal is to compete in 2021, that is, meaning that I think that his his vulnerable team has gotten weaker as the weeks have passed. Um, and while that second opinion hasn't really changed for Eddie's team since he only managed 145 points, I chose this matchup as my biggest upset because... Well, Sam only managed 141 points, making this, in effect, the toilet bowl matchup of last week, albeit a surprising one, because I thought, like I said, that Sam's team would kind of breeze through to a, a week three two and zero finish, um, but instead, Sam's team limped to the 140 point threshold, still somehow remaining in the matchup late in the week, but unable to deliver a win after being the favorite coming into the matchup. Um, as far as eddie's team i think with the right moves this could be a turning point for him but i think there's going to have to be some sense of urgency for that to prove true for this specific week three matchup to be the turning point for gone forever uh most shocking outcome
1: jake what did you have uh so when anytime that anybody has a week like mike had i really don't think there's, you're going to beat that team. But I think more shocking was that Courtney didn't even get into the top six, which after her first two weeks, I thought for sure that she was going to be um, in the top six for the, this week and for a couple weeks in the future. But uh, she only, I think the most surprising thing was she only got half a point from Acuna all week. And just to tell you how impress, how impressive Acuna has been, even with that week, even with this half point week, he is still the number one hitter overall. So that should tell you how hot he was coming into the week and even more surprising how bad of a week he had even coming off of the the injury earlier. Uh, But she also had some of her pitchers blow up. I think Montas, Wheeler, and uh, Tony Disco, Anthony Di Sclafani, only combined for about six points. So I think that does show a little vulnerability in the back end of her staff where uh, there is a higher chance that they could have some clunkers in there and uh, it's could, could bring her whole week down if the offense doesn't keep tearing it up.
0: Yeah, and not to sound like a broken record, but I had the same uh, outcome, Big Money Mike versus Team C. Deemer. In contrast to Sam's team, Mike's team was a strong team that had been underperforming to start the season, but exploded in week three to absolutely body Courtney's team, which was especially shocking because... Like you alluded to, she had seemed to be the strongest team through the first couple matchups coming into this past week. I have to admit that I thought, and this might be a hot take, or I guess would have proved to be a hot take a week ago. I kind of thought that Tatis was going to be a liability for Mike this season. I thought, you know, on one hand, you can't trade a superstar keeper like that. But I also thought that Fernando Tatis Jr. would not deliver the production that he has advertised to deliver after the shoulder injury that caused him to, be, to get placed on the I.L. And uh, there was kind of that scare that everyone in the baseball world had when it came out that he might even need season-ending surgery on it. Um, but instead, Tatis was an important piece to Mike's dominant week three performance in which he nearly put up 400 points total across his team – namely because Tatis was the number one hitter in the entire league during the matchup by nearly 12 points. Uh, That may not seem like a lot, but it just goes to show that he was an everything-goes-right game away from even the second-best hitter of the entire week-long matchup across the entire league, which, by the way, was David Peralta, left fielder for the Arizona Diamondbacks, who is currently a free agent. Just saying. Uh, This is the kind of performance that Jake and I have been expecting from Mike's team. And I think it could be the start of a dominant run for him. I know Jake joked in the group chat yesterday uh, when we were picking Mike's team to be a strong team to start the year. We were kind of looking at a totally different roster, but I certainly don't think that Mike's roster has gotten worse since that time. So, you know, like I said, I think this could be the start of a run for him. Uh, That brings us to the top three standings update for each division. So in the East, we have uh the same two up at the top JC is in first place with a record of 6 and 0 Jake's fantasy baseball team has the same record both of those two teams being unbeaten at 6 and 0 and a new person in the top 3 Nick Pine run market he uh cracked 500 and is now 3 and 3 and has the edge over Jordan in the East division in the West division which Maybe Jake, I don't know if you want to if you want to talk about the West Division and how excited you are to watch it this year. But we do have a little bit of a shakeup in the top three. So first place is Courtney, Team C Deemer, at a record of four and two. I think she was there last week as well. Second place is my team, number one contender, same record, four and two. And third place with again another four and two record, Brendan, Cleveland White Males. Uh, Jake, would you say at this point that you expect? the West division to, to have five playoff teams come out in our eight man playoff bracket.
1: Uh, I think that maybe Nick or Jerwin might have something to say about that, but it, I, I think I have to have to agree there. I mean, they're the top three doesn't even include Mike who's uh, or Sam. And the, I think we, but I think we both agree that those are two very good playoff worthy teams. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how this West division turns out. I think that uh, whoever comes in first in the East division is going to have their hands full in the first round if that happens. Or it happens where five playoff teams make it from the West.
0: Yeah, and I know you mentioned Nick or Jerwin, but, but even Jordan over in the East division, uh, I think even he might have a better, I don't want to say chance, because it's still very, very early in the season. I know we kind of have to shift our mindset back to, the marathon style baseball season, as opposed to last year where it was definitely a sprint. But Jerwin has started 0-6, which uh, is certainly not a hole that he cannot dig himself out of with how long the baseball season is. But it is not a small hole to have to dig himself out of. I'll say that. Um, No overreaction here in terms of saying Jerwin has no chance at the playoffs or no chance to, to crack the top three in the East division, but uh, certainly has to manage with a sense of urgency after going 0-6 to start. I'll just
1: take, I'll just take my, my L now for forgetting that Jordan's team existed in the East. (laughs) That's all right. I'm sure I'll get a text whenever he listens to this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Jordan's right there with Nick. Those two are neck and neck for that third spot in the East division, but let's, uh, Jake, let's, Let's uh, bring you in in the fold here and talking about trades since you didn't get to come on last week and break down the trades that have happened so far. We've had five that have happened since last week's episode, so I'll just run through them in order, and we will each give our initial reaction to these trades. So the first one of the week since last week's episode was Nick gave up Pablo Lopez and Ramon Loriano. And Jordan gave up Lance McCullers Jr. and Wade Miley. What was your initial
1: reaction to this trade? I like Jordan's end of this a little better. I think actually Nick kind of agreed with that because I know that he put in the group chat, He in hindsight, he didn't didn't like it as much. But uh, I like Pablo Lopez more than McCullers. Um, and then Loriano, he's a, he's a solid outfielder. He's not anything special, but he's still startable. Uh, to me, Wade Miley's just kind of a hot hand play. Like he's just kind of another guy who you play whenever – He's he's stringing together a few good starts. I don't know how much staying power he necessarily has. So given all of that, I would definitely prefer the side that Jordan got because I think that he got two players that can help him long-term, whereas Nick probably only got one.
0: As would I. And when Nick originally made this trade, he shared with me after the fact that his thought was he was getting another potential starting pitcher keeper in Lance McCullers Jr., which I think he was drafted in the 17th round. So certainly I want to say more room for profit as a keeper than Pablo Lopez, who I think I drafted in the ninth round originally. So I can understand his thought there where I cautioned him. And I guess there's nothing that he could do about it at that point. Cause the deal had already been made, but he was thinking, you know, Pablo Lopez, Lance McCullers jr. have similar upsides, one was drafted eight rounds later. I said, sure. Uh, but Lance McCullers Jr. is never going to give you the volume that you would need for him to be an SP1 or an SP2. Um, so I think that, and he said, well, shoot, I didn't even think to look at his career and the track record in terms of volume that he had in, you know, in the past. So I think that that's just, again, we, we've mentioned a few times on these first few episodes that there's a learning curve when you start to play fantasy baseball. There's just uh, a knowledge or an acumen that comes with learning the sport of things that you should look for, especially in a keeper format where you're, you're considering implications beyond just this season. And I think understandably so um, because in other sports, I don't really think, you know, the whole career is necessary to look at when you're weighing a trade, but in baseball and, and specifically for starting pitchers in particular, I think it is important to consider track record, both in terms of their skill sets or their talent, but also in terms of what they've actually produced on the field. Um, And and Lance McCullers, I want to say he's never topped 150 innings in his career. uh, And I would be surprised to see him go more than 150, either by them limiting his inning count or by him getting hurt at some point along the way. So that's a long way of saying I think Nick had the right intention in mind when he made this deal, but I think that Jordan actually got the better end in terms of both the players and for his team need as a competitor for this season. So next trade we had was Brendan gave up Whit Merrifield, Kyle Hendricks and Herman Marquez. Sam gave up Aaron Savale, Dylan Carlson and Dallas Keuchel. This was a pretty big one. What did you think of this, Jake?
1: Uh, so I think, Thought overall is pretty even. Um, I like Savali a lot as a keeper. I think that that's Brennan definitely got somebody who's going to be on his team long term. There, I do like Carlson too. Uh, Keikel's kind of the same deal as Miley. He's probably he's a better he's a better Miley, but he's still kind of in the same group where I probably wouldn't start him unless he has a few good outings in a row. Um, Hendricks scares me a little bit. Uh, fastball, if you can believe it, has gotten even slower this year. And uh Ramon Marquez, I'm not a huge fan of, I don't, I'm not huge on any Rocky starting pitchers, especially in a, uh, a weekly league where you can't, if he has a two start and one's at home, one's on one's away. I, uh, I, I don't, I don't really like to rely on Rocky's pitchers at home. It just, as we've said on the podcast, it's tough to pitch at course, but I do like what Mary a lot. He fits, he fits what I like to do with my offensive players, which is a lot of multi-positional players I think he's eligible at second base and all three outfield spots. So I guess in short, I know I've described all the players. I do think this was pretty even. I don't know if I can give an edge to either one.
0: Yeah, I I think it was even as well. I would say in terms of value for this year, I would probably rank the players as Whit Merrifield would be 1A. Aaron Savale would be 1B. And Whit Merrifield is certainly... Um, more established among hitters in terms of the value that he offers because of how much position eligibility he has and because of the positions that he has it at, specifically second base and center field are, are really key. But I think starting pitcher and consistency at that position at that position uh, kind of gets shoved up the value on trade charts, I guess. And Savale has definitely shown early this season, that he looks like he could take that leap into being an upper tier starting pitcher. Maybe not a starting pitcher one, like among the top 12 starters, but I certainly wouldn't rule it out of the question for him to be a top 20 starting pitcher moving forward because I think that he has the skill to to be that on a consistent enough basis that paired with the volume that he will give you um, in our format, which is a points league, that he is going to finish among the top 25 I would say is his floor at this point after what I've seen this year that's what I would say and I would say maybe top 15 is the ceiling so I like what Brendan got back there um but again Sam getting Whit Whitmerryfield back I think he had a really good idea or the right idea there so I'm kind of with you I can't give an edge to either side I would say Brendan gets the long-term edge If I had to choose just for 2021, I would probably take Sam's return. So I think that's kind of splitting it right down the middle. Third one was Jerwin gave up Noah Syndergaard and Teoscar Hernandez. Nick gave up Ian Anderson. I'm curious to hear what you think of this one, because I'm not too sure myself what I think about
1: it. Uh, So I'm not huge on Teoscar Hernandez. I think that he's kind of like a a bad couple weeks away from losing his job. Because that Toronto lineup, especially the outfield, can get a little bit crowded. And they do have a couple uh, DH types who are definitely major league caliber hitters who aren't even in the lineup every day. Um, like Sendergaard, I, I don't know how how much he'll give you this year. Um, I think that kind of his long-term value a little bit is up in the air because he I believe he is a free agent after this year. So he should be going to a new team, and it would be – Landing spot, I think, is going to dictate a lot of his value going forward because you know it'll be like where he's pitching. Maybe if he goes somewhere like the uh, like the Rays, he's not going to go to the Rays, but I mean, yes, the the team context matters too because maybe they have a specific approach. How are they going to maximize his talents? So I think that his long term value is a little bit up in the air. But I understand what Jerwin was trying was was doing here. I do like Ian Anderson a lot. Um, I don't think even though he's gotten off to a rougher start. I haven't really seen a whole lot that has changed with him since last year. I don't think that he was nearly as good as he was last year, but uh, overall I, I don't – I think maybe he's getting a little bit unlucky so far. Um, and I – like I said, I've been a big Ian Anderson fan, so I, I think I'm going to – it's really close. I mean, I, I, guess it's, I guess it's probably even, but for this year for sure it's Anderson. I understand that the kind of the goal was Nick looking long-term. Derwin kind of looking to compete this year. So I guess I'll call it a wash.
0: Yeah. And I think the reason why I don't know how to feel about this trade is because pretty much every player to me is a question mark, you have Ian Anderson, Ian Anderson coming off of a dominant rookie year where a lot of analysts in the fantasy industry were saying he way overperformed his true talent level, not to suggest that Ian Anderson is not a talented pitcher. He is, but he was pitching like he was a top 20 starting pitcher last year as a rookie. And I don't think that it's fair to expect, even though he was drafted like one this year uh, that Ian Anderson is a surefire top 20 pitcher over a full 162 game season. But then on the other hand, you have Noah Syndergaard who's coming off of Tommy John surgery and an up and down career, even when he has been healthy over the past few years. And then the third piece Teoscar Hernandez, who was, pretty much irrelevant to fantasy with the exception of 2020, which which was the abbreviated season. He kind of broke out last year. Um, So I'm not totally sure what to make of him myself. I think, like you said, the situation in Toronto, or I guess in Dunedin, Florida, where they're playing their home games this year, is fragile for the outfielders, especially because they have so many capable hitters. So I could certainly see not just Teoscar Hernandez, but any of them, if they go cold for a two- or three-week stretch, um, seeing themselves on the short side of a platoon, which would not be good for you know whoever that would be for their fantasy value. So I think this trade for me is a to-be-determined uh, pending how Ian Anderson performs this year, pending how Noah Syndergaard returns this year, as well as who he signs with for next year and beyond. Like I don't know if the Mets are going to extend him, If they don't, I could totally see maybe Houston making a play at him, and I think that would be a really good landing spot for him. So I think there's a lot of unknown to this deal, and uh, I think this will be an interesting one to look back on. So The next trade we have was one that I made, which we're actually going to follow up with the final trade of the week being one that you made, so this should be fun, Jake. I gave up Kenta Maeda and Marcus Semien. And Mike gave up Jose Altuve and Tommy Edmond. What did you make of this trade?
1: I thought it was fine. I mean, I, I before the year I was pretty high, or before the season started, I was pretty high on Kent Maeda, but uh, I think he's starting to slip for me. He's probably outside my top 20 at this point with the rougher start to the season. And I think we, I know we were texting about him, He how his his changeup, I, I said his changeup's taken a step back. And I think that he's sort, sort of kind of becoming a two-pitch pitcher now. And uh, he's using the same approach that he had last year, but he's uh, drastically different results because of that. The changeup's not working, so hitters are able to kind of key in on the slider, and it's just getting absolutely hammered. Uh, but I think that this is about right. I, I have him as kind of a top 25 pitcher, which feels, feels pretty right for a, for a return like Jose Altuve, and Tommy Edmonds kind of just a handy guy to have around because he plays everywhere. So I, I do like Altuve this year. Um, but I, I think that this was a fair return.
0: Yeah, this was one that I was hesitant to make, not really because of my ADA. It was actually because of Marcus Semien. I was kind of trying to, to push Adam Frazier in this deal or, uh, Zach McKenstry Cause I know Mike's a Dodgers fan. He's going to be a super utility guy for them when he comes. I mean, he already has been, but he's going to gain a lot of positional eligibility when he returns. Uh, especially with Cody Ballinger being out. I was kind of trying to push some of those guys to be like, you know, the pairing mate with Ken Samaeta in this deal. Mike was insistent that he wanted some insurance at shortstop if he was giving up Tommy Edmund, which I totally understand. Um, And I was kind of afraid of the prospect of Marcus Semyon getting hot in that really good Toronto Blue Jays lineup. But it, it ultimately came down to me or, to this for me, which was I needed an upgraded second base. Marcus Semyon was my best, my best second baseman. And, you know, as a rule of thumb, it's not good for your top option at any position to be a streaky hitter, which I think is fair to classify Marcus Semyon as. So I was kind of willing to bite the bullet, so to speak, to give up the potential hot streaks of Semyon as the second piece of my, my side of the deal. That I traded away uh, in order to get a proven and reliable hitter like Altuve and kind of increase my longevity on, on the offensive side of the ball with, I don't know, Edmund has like five or six positions and he hasn't been playing bad. So I agree with you. I think the price was right. I think the needs were right on both sides. Uh, good trade for both, I think. And then let's move on to your trade, which was the final one of the week, which happened earlier today. Actually, you gave up Marcus Stroman and Jed Lowry and Eddie gave you in return, Brandon Lau and Chris Bryant. I will go ahead and lead off by giving you my take since this is your deal. I thought it was pretty even for the most part. I think as you classified Wade Miley, Jed Lowry is a waiver wire hot hand. Uh, Jordan and I kind of both agreed to that last week. But I do think that Marcus Stroman is a legitimate asset to have as a starting pitcher. And of course, we've been talking about it all season. That is certainly a position that Eddie is in need of. So I can understand why he would give up a hot hitter like Chris Bryant. And, you know, I know Brandon Lau is struggling, but I will say that I think that he is very capable of potentially being an asset for you, either in your lineup or in a different trade later this year, because of two things. One, he's shown it before. Albeit in an abbreviated 2020 season. Uh, but two, he does have multi position eligibility at three different positions, one of which is second base. So I think that that gives you flexibility both in your lineup and, like I said, as well in trades in the future. So I would say overall, an even trade. I would maybe give you a slight edge, but I totally get why Eddie would make this trade because he was. Uh, in a bad need of starting pitching. So I would not call this, you know, an, a lopsided trade by any means. I think it was mostly even.
1: Yeah. I, I, I really, the real reason I traded for Chris Bryant because I knew he was going to hit a grand slam like 20 minutes ago, but, uh, um, no, so I, I like Brandon Lyle just because he's, he kind of fits into that mold. Like I said before, where he's multi-position eligibility, he's, he's just kind of a useful guy to have around with, especially with one of those being second base. Like you said, it just kind of fits what I like to do with my offense. Uh, Chris Bryant, the whole goal of getting a third baseman was so I wouldn't have to sit through any more. 0 for four with four strikeout performances from Eugenio Suarez. Um, but I was okay giving up Marcus Stroman. I do like Stroman, especially in a points league He's going to give you a lot of volume and, uh, I think with being on the Mets, they have a good team. So if he goes deep into games, he could probably get a couple wins. He could probably get more wins than than a normal pitcher from that uh, from that range. So Jed Lowry, I wasn't really. I I probably would have only kept him around as long as he was playing well. But I know it was kind of a need for a need thing. So I think it was an even trade.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the uh, the unmentioned part of the storyline of this trade is Eddie gets another Met and another former Met actually with Jed Lowry. I think I counted earlier today after this trade went through and Eddie has six New York Mets on his team. And uh, in case anybody didn't know, Eddie is a Mets fan.
1: <laughs> I can so, tell you there is one member of the New York Mets. He's not getting Jacob de Grom. Jacob <laughs> I,
0: I hear that when you originally asked about Chris Bryan at the very beginning of the season, that Eddie mentioned that he might be interested in Jacob de To that, I say get in line, buddy. We're all interested in Degrom. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think this was a, a good trade for, uh, in terms of need for need. And I was actually glad to see that you gave up Stroman rather than Eduardo Rodriguez. I don't think that they're totally different, but I, I do give an edge to Stroman. So I was glad to see Eddie kind of get back the better of the two short of your elite starting pitchers, which are your top four. Uh, let's, let's bring to the fantasy baseball podcast. One of my favorite segments that Eddie and I would do over on our fantasy football podcast. Um, it's basically where I will compare two players of the same position without naming them and Jake, I'm going to have you pick between them and tell me why I call it player a or player B. So this week I did three, uh, comparisons between two players of the same position and I did two pairs of starting pitchers and one pair of shortstops. So let's start with our first pair of starting pitchers. Player A, in four starts this season, this pitcher holds a record of three and zero with one no decision. He has recorded two quality starts, as twenty five and two thirds innings pitched, as a two eight one ERA, a zero point nine three five WHIP and holds a solid 26-4 to strikeouts-to-walk ratio. He is averaging 19.5 points per game. And looking under the hood at some of the advanced metrics, this pitcher ranks 18th among starting pitchers with a 22% strikeout-to-walk or strikeout to walk ratio, or percentage, sorry, and holds an ex, ex, XFIP FIP. I don't know whether you call that expected FIP or xFIP. I'll call it xFIP, which again as a reminder, FIP is call is, is what stands for fielding independent pitching, which is just basically saying if the defense behind them was average, you know, what what would the ERA of this pitcher be expected to be. So that's what xFIP is. And in xWoba, which again, friendly reminder, expected weighted on-base average. This pitcher has a 2.88 x woba, and he sports a Sierra, which this is a teaching lesson at this point. Is skills indicative uh, earned run average? So basically, it's it's kind of another similar metric to FIP or xFIP, where it's saying the skill level of this pitcher um, combined with how they've performed so far. Should get them around this ERA. This pitcher has a three three nine. So let me run through those stats one more time because I know I did a lot of explaining there, Jake. This pitcher has a twenty two percent strikeout to walk percentage, which ranks eighteenth among starting pitchers. An xFIP of three point five, an ex-WOBA of two eight eight, and sports a Sierra of three three nine. The pitcher that I have compared him to in four starts this season has a record of 1 and 0 with 3 no decisions he's recorded a quality start in all 4 of his starts has 25 innings pitched has a 2.16 ERA a 0.88 whip and holds a solid 21 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio and he is averaging 16.75 points per game The advanced metrics for this pitcher is that he ranks 24th among starting pitchers with a 21.1% strikeout to walk percentage. He holds an XFIP of three, five, five, an expected WOBA of three, four, eight and sports, a Sierra of three, five, five. I know that was a lot. Do you need me to repeat anything before I ask you who you'd rather have? Uh, no, no would you rather have player a or player b
1: okay so i think i'm gonna go with player a that sounds Um, like a question yeah there's a lot there's a lot of numbers (laughs) there was a
0: lot to digest and i'll be honest with (laughs) you it's it's like a tiny amount of prep that i have under each of these guys like i thought i thought to myself i could go a lot more in depth but i'll just cut it here because it's probably going to be a mouthful it totally was a mouthful, and I know it's probably even more to digest.
1: Go ahead. Yeah, I, not knowing who they are, I would normally I guess I'm looking at um, the, the strikeout, strikeouts. The player A has more strikeouts. Um, I don't know if the I'm making an assumption, but he has more wins, which leads me to believe that he might be on a better team. So maybe he's going to, uh, maybe he's going to have more win potential um a lot of it was pretty comparable like this sure. like we're almost splitting hairs with these two guys um but i'm really not sure who they are so i'm gonna go with player a okay i
0: will give you a hint to see if you can guess who they are they are actually on the same
1: team well that throws one of my three <laughs> <window>. <laughs>
0: They are on the same team and the same player team. A is currently and don't, I don't want you to look at fan tracks. Player A is currently starting pitcher 20 overall. Player B is starting pitcher
1: 29 overall. Oh man. Um See my my first thought is maybe this is maybe this was Darvish and Musgrove, but Musgrove has to have much higher points per game because of the uh the no-hitter Good old no-hitter. Yeah.
0: Is some of the Dodgers
1: guys? It is. Which two Dodgers?
0: Player A is.
1: All right. It has to be two of Urias, Bueller, and Kershaw, right? I don't know which two though. So you're not. I'm not going to get any more specific than that.
0: It player A is Julio Urias. Player B is Walker Bueller. Both on Mike's team. You're saying as of now. And they are very comparable, uh, both in terms of their surface-level stats and their underlying metrics. Uh, Julio Urias is the guy that you would rather have. And, and by the way, I know I mentioned some of the advanced metrics, uh, XFIP, Sierra. The reason why I, I tried to give like the, the surface-level look at these guys and the advanced metric look at these guys is I think surface-level Uh, kind of tells the story of how they've performed so far, right? Well, the advanced metrics, specifically XFIP and Sierra, uh, and and I even lean a little bit harder on Sierra, the skills indicative ERA. I think that that stat is a little bit more predictive of what they're going to continue to do. So that just gives you a kind of inside look in, in what my thinking is in terms of why I chose these particular stats to present. So Jake would rather have Julio Urias. And Walker Buehler, as of right now, definitely would not have been something that I imagined uh, Jake or anyone saying four weeks ago when we were drafting, but he has been on fire to start the year, and this this definitely looks like uh, the Julio Urias breakout that a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time. Let's talk about the shortstops that, that I'm going to be comparing, and, and this is going to be I don't think as much of a mouthful, but it's still going to be a lot. So if you need to write it down, Jake, here we go. Player A, in 77 at-bats this season, this shortstop has a triple slash line of 299, 333, 481. Again, that would be batting average on base percentage and slugging percentage. And this triple slash line is supported by 37 total bases, And this one's pretty easy. It is just the total amount of bases that they get off of their bat. So a single would count as one, a double, two, and so on and so forth. He has 37 total bases and five walks to 18 strikeouts. He also has two stolen bases and is averaging 2.4 points per game. Looking under the hood, this player is sporting an expected weighted on base average of 381. And a weighted runs created plus, which I'll tell you what that is in a second, of 102, which ranks ninth among shortstops. Weighted runs created plus, which you'll see abbreviated as WRC plus, uh, to give you an idea of what that is and why I'm using it. It's a way to measure the value of a hitter's outcome. Uh, So for instance, if a hitter gets a hit, his batting average is going to rise no matter what type of hit it is. Whereas weighted runs created plus actually accounts for singles, doubles, triples, et cetera, which paints a better picture of actually how well the hitter is batting. It also even accounts for park factors. So like if a guy hits a deep fly ball and gets a triple in a pitcher's park, uh, but it would have been a home run in 20 other ballparks, it'll account for that as well. And to give you a kind of baseline on what is good and what is not uh, excellent weighted run or weighted runs created plus would be 160 and then you kind of go down in intervals of 20 from there great would be 140 above average would be 115 to 120. your league average is usually going to be around 100 um, and anything below that will be average below average to I think when you're getting in the awful range it would be like around 60 uh, I know that's a lot again i'm just trying to provide some context to the stats that i'm using. So shortstop that I just mentioned has a weighted run created plus of 102, which is just slightly above what we would expect to see for league average. Player B. In 61 at bats this season, this shortstop has a triple slash line of 246, 387, 525, which is supported by 32 total bases and 11 walks to 20 strikeouts. He has also stolen tw- uh, two bases and he is averaging 3.11 points per game. Looking under the hood for this hitter, he is sporting an expected weighted on-base average of 395 and a weighted runs created plus of 151, which ranks second among shortstops. I know this one doesn't seem close, but I think you'll be interested to hear who these players are. But Jake, who would you rather have, player A or player B? Uh,
1: It doesn't sound very close. Again, just knowing the numbers, it'd be... Uh, player B for a myriad of reasons. (laughs) Yep.
0: It'd be player B. Uh, They show up. I'll say this. They show up in our fan tracks, positional leaderboards closer than what their underlying numbers would suggest. So that's interesting. And I think part of it was attributable to the very first stat that I gave you, which was that player a has 77 at bats player B has 61. So obviously, um, whether it's through hitting higher in the order and therefore seeing more plate appearances or just starting in the lineup more often, you see that player A is getting more chances to produce than player B. So I think part of it, again, that you would go and look into the leaderboards of our tracks League website and see that these guys are actually closer than what you would think. It can be attributed to just the, just the volume. But uh, any guesses, and I'll give you the first hint, that these two shortstops both play in the NL West. Any guesses as to who they are?
1: Okay, well, the struggling one is probably Trevor Story.
0: That is player A. And I'll give you a second hint for player B because I think it's harder when you're thinking just strictly shortstop. He is a utility player in which one of his positions is shortstop.
1: Okay, so that's probably either Cronenworth or Chris. Taylor. I'm going to say Taylor because I think, I don't think Cronenworth, I don't think Cronenworth has that many bats. It is is Chris Taylor. Okay.
0: So Chris Taylor has second base, shortstop, left field, and center field eligibility. Uh, I classified him as a shortstop for this exercise's purposes. He would be shortstop seven, whereas Trevor Story is shortstop 13. So I thought that was an interesting comparison. Um, yeah, so far, you know, the studs are kind of getting shoved down, but I tried to not set the stats up in a way that was like, gotcha, got you to pick the guy that was a scrub coming into the season over the stud. (laughs) I try to kind of give you uh, predictive stats at the same time as stats that were indicative of how they performed so far. So interesting. So far we have, and, and I I would agree if you were give, if the, if the tables were turned and you were giving me these stats with anonymous names behind them, I too would have chose Urias over Bueller and Chris Taylor over Trevor story. So I don't disagree with the assessment so far. This last one is going to be a lot closer than the first two. And I know you even mentioned that the first two were kind of splitting hairs. This should be interesting. So these are two starting pitchers, player a in five starts this season holds a record of one and O with four, no decisions has recorded four quality starts in his five starts. He has 33 and two-thirds innings pitched, a 214 ERA, a 0.861 whip, and holds, I'll call it an interesting 34 to 10 strikeouts to walks and is averaging 19 points per game. Looking under the hood, this pitcher ranks 31st among starting pitchers with an 18.5% strikeout to walk percentage. He holds an xFIP of 3.82 and an expected weighted on-base average of 3.20 for the hitters batting against him, and also sports a Sierra of 3.74. Player B, in five starts this season, holds a record of two and one with two no decisions. He's recorded four quality starts as well. He has pitched 31 and two-thirds innings. He has a 2.27 ERA a 0.853 whip, and holds a solid 37-8 to to strikeout-to-walk ratio. He is averaging 18.5 points per game. And looking under the hood for this pitcher, he ranks 16th among starting pitchers with a 23.8% strikeout-to-walk percentage. He holds an XFIP of 355, an expected weighted on-base average against of 285, and sports a Sierra of 324. Jake, who would you rather have, player A or player B?
1: Uh, they're pretty close, but give me player B because of the better strikeout to walk ratio.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, player A, I'll actually give you uh, the, virtually the same hint as, as the last pair, which is that both of these pitchers are on teams that play in the NL West. Any idea as to who they are?
1: All right, so they're probably not. I'm, I'm going to guess that you didn't double up on Dodgers pitchers.
0: Did not double up on Dodgers pitchers, and these guys are not teammates.
1: Okay. All right, it can't be Zach Allen because he doesn't have enough innings. Uh... Give you a third hint.
0: Player okay. A is starting pitcher 10 overall. Player B is starting pitcher 11
1: overall. I don't know if the leaderboard's up, so that's not very helpful.
0: Well, we'd
1: be giving it away <laughs> if you had the leaderboards up. No, nah, I know. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna guess one of them's Kevin Gosman because I can't. I, I don't know who the other one would be though. Player A
0: is Kevin Gosman. Player B, just take a stab. An NL West pitcher. It would be a top 11 starting pitcher.
1: All right, it's gotta be you, Darvish then.
0: It is you, Darvish. Thinking you might say Musgrove, but I think Musgrove is actually a little bit higher because of
1: the no. I think I, the thing with the with Musgrove is it's got to be. You said the points per game that still seems too low for Musgrove.
0: Yep. Yeah. So Kevin Gosman and Udarvish. Darvish. I would agree. I would take U Darvish. Uh, just purely looking at the stats, I would take Udarvish Darvish over Gosman just because of the underlying metrics. I think it looks like his performance thus far is a little bit more sustainable. Uh, Not to say that Kevin Gosman hasn't been very good and that the underlying numbers don't support that he's been a very good starting pitcher, but um, I think that you Darvish's numbers support a top 12 starting pitcher just a little bit more than Gosman's do. So Jake, uh, I might jump in with you on any given week in this particular segment, but I was kind of going to let you take lead and call this Jake's standout player of the week. And uh, I did not come
1: up with one myself, so I'm going to pass this over to you. Who's your standout player of the week? All right, so originally I was going to go with Tatis, but I think that we kind of talked about him. So I will throw a little bit of love towards Madison Baumgartner, who threw a sort of no-hitter. Well, I guess it was technically a no-hitter. Um, and got 43 points. Uh, he was only. It was weird because he, he almost had a perfect game if it weren't for an error which is a new one. I know we've had a couple of no hitters where it's been like a hit by pitch, but this one was off of an error. Um, Velocity was back up. Uh, Maybe there's something there. I think, I don't know if, I think somebody just picked him up after that start, but maybe he can be useful again. And uh, I don't think he's going to be an ace anymore. Not under, uh, I'm not thinking that's going to happen, but you know, maybe he can, maybe he can contribute.
0: Yeah, big money. Mike snagged him off of the wire after he threw his unofficial no hitter.
1: So, do they? Did they say if they're counting those as no hitters or not? They are not. They, no, Allen almost had one too. It was a really rough day for the Braves. <laughs> yeah,
0: they. Fourteen innings, and I think they only mustered one hit.
1: Across yeah, one hit over innings. fourteen innings. Yep.
0: That's kind of like what they did against Trevor Bauer uh, during the playoffs last year when he was pitching with the Reds. They just couldn't do anything against, against him, really, but the Reds' whole pitching staff after he exited. But they, the MLB came out and said that they are not counting – they or I should say they're not considering seven-inning games for like no-hitter or perfect game potential records or, or recording them as part of the record books in history. I think that's kind of dumb, or I should say I think it's hypocritical. Like, I don't really know how you can say we're going to make this count just as much as a nine-inning game in the standings, but if you get a no-hitter, we're not going to count it as a no-hitter. That seems kind of backwards to me, like either make the games nine innings long or say that whatever happens in the game is an official part of baseball history. That's my take on the matter. I'm assuming that Jordan has the same take on the matter. Jake, I don't think that you commented. Where do you fall on that?
1: I would be fine if they... Counted it. They there just has to be something there that says it's only seven innings. Like I, I it doesn't really matter to me either way, honestly. Give Madison Bumgarner
0: his no hitter. He's he's. i mean, for as for as bad as he is now, dude was dominant back in his prime, especially when the Giants would make playoffs. So yeah, I would have He was to really see, a
1: fun one to watch.
0: I would have liked to see Madison Bumgarner get the get the official no hitter yesterday, but. Let's, uh, let's look ahead to our week four matchups. I know they've technically already kicked off, but give me your best matchup for week four, Jake.
1: I think it's gotta be you and Courtney, uh, battling for another battle for, uh, for first place in the, in the West division. Uh, we got two very high scoring teams, not, not counting Courtney's, uh, face plant last week, but, uh, yeah, I think this one will be a really good matchup, uh, two very high-scoring teams. It should be the highest-scoring matchup of the week. And uh, there's a lot on the line with this one. So that is definitely my best matchup this week.
0: Yeah, she's off to a good start with Zach Wheeler. I, I'm not watching the game, but I can see he is rolling. He is four and two-thirds of the way, or I should say four and two-thirds innings into his start, and he has 20 points already. It looks like he just gave up his first hit of the game, thankfully. He has seven strikes. Seven strikeouts through four and two-thirds innings pitched. But I had the same matchup, Courtney versus me. A tale of two equals, really, coming into this week. Courtney and I are both four and two in the West Division. But we are coming off rather opposite performances in which my team was comfortably a top-six scorer and hers failed to win either matchup in week three. Um, That being her head-to-head matchup against Big Money Mike and her matchup against the league median. While Courtney has eight starts in this matchup, which is two more than I have, four of those starts are coming from Frankie Montas and Tony Disco, Anthony Desclafani, which renders me confident that my team will be able to pull out the win this week, or I should say gives me just enough confidence to make that pick. Uh, Because to be transparent with you, I can't say with full confidence that – I am going to beat Courtney because we have definitely seen quantity Trump quality in our scoring format before. I'm just not totally sure that only two more starts coming from the caliber arms that are comprising half of those starts necessarily gives her enough of an edge that she needs to top the likes of, and this is probably a humble brag, but it's just a matter of fact, Shane Bieber, Lance Lynn, Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw and the like. I may have to eat my words next week for sure, Uh, but I do really like how the tail of the tape for the West division is shaping up to start the season. I think the playoff seating is going to be an absolute bloodbath between me, Courtney, Mike, Brendan, and Sam as the season unfolds, and I just have to say poor Eddie got stuck in the wrong division for his first year. Uh, No disrespect to Eddie, but I just think Uh, This division just happens to be home to five perennial playoff teams, of course, not in the 2020 season, because our divisions were determined by how the final standings shook out. But if you go back to 2017, all five of these teams uh, have been making the playoffs. I want to say all but every single all but one year, maybe. I think each of these each of these managers has maybe missed playoffs one year and no more than that. So I would agree with you there. Worst matchup, I'll go ahead and lead off. It's probably the one that you have. I think it was the easy pick. It's your team, Jake, Jake's fantasy baseball team versus Jerwin Testicular Torkelson. This one is a tale of two opposites. Jake is entering the matchup undefeated while Jerry is entering the matchup without a win. And I'll say I continue to be surprised by Jerwin's team, as I thought for sure before the draft that he'd be among the strongest teams in the league based on his choice to tank and sell out for keepers early last season in an effort to play for 2021. But instead, his team has come out flat, which I think can partially be attributed to injuries to players such as Carlos Carrasco and Mike Soroka. So I suppose I should have expected a slower start. But in the words of one of our league mates, who I will keep anonymous unless they choose to claim these words in the group chat upon hearing this, quote, Jerwin's team is very underwhelming for the keepers he came into the draft with. I can't pick against the undefeated reigning champ in this matchup, although I will say none of us could pick against Courtney in last week's matchup. So we have indeed seen stranger things happen. Jake, who is your worst matchup coming
1: into this week? I didn't really have uh, a one that I would say, like I didn't look at the week and be like, nothing stuck out to me. Like this is a really bad matchup. I thought for the most part, everything was pretty even. Um, I picked JC versus Nick Uh, for the most part. It's just JC has been, I believe the highest scoring team. And uh, Nick has a couple, a couple of his heavy hitters out this week. Uh, He's missing Yelich and Bellinger, which is going to hurt on offense. Anytime that happens. Um, Hayes is still out. A lot of Nick's heavy hitters aren't in. Uh, J.C.'s been rolling. I, I, I think this is probably the most lopsided one.
0: Sure, and I know you mentioned earlier today that you weren't totally confident of your matchup with Jerwin because I guess he has a lot of volume in his rotation.
1: Yeah, so he has uh, Corbin Burns and Lucas Giolito both going twice this week, and I think Ian Anderson goes twice as well. So he he has more starts than I do. I think he has me by three or four. So he's got the quantity. And he's and that quantity is going to be quality innings, so that is that's always the recipe for an upset. I I do think that my team is better; it's more talented. But uh, whenever you're you have a couple aces go twice, that can be kind of the equalizer in a matchup when there's when there's that kind of gap with the rest of the team.
0: Yeah, I want to say I've picked Jerwin to win twice now out of our three week or our our three weeks of matchup predictions so far. So. I'm thinking maybe I'm jinxing him. So if I call it the worst matchup this week, you know, implying that you should win easily, maybe he'll bust out of his slump and actually pull off an upset. Uh, But that brings us to our matchup predictions. And Jake, you had a strong week last week. You went four and two. I think I went two and four. So we kind of flipped there. And Jordan went four and two. So my record coming into this week for our matchup prediction segment is 12 and six. You have the same record at 12 and six. And again, I just mentioned Jordan, and we'll keep track of everyone's record that comes on as a guest host. His record is four and two as well. So we actually all have the exact same uh, win percentage, quote unquote, for our matchup predictions. Who do you have uh, coming out of Courtney
1: and I's matchup this week? All right, I'm going to take Courtney here just because I know that you said that you don't think that the the quantity matters, but I, I think in this case, that her offense is good enough that it's going to provide a floor for her to stay in just about any matchup I mean with obviously we see that with the exception of last week but um I, I think that her her extra pitchers this week are going to be able to put her over the top um I, I do believe in in montas I think that uh believe that uh Disclafani gets the Rockies on on the road so that's always a recipe for success but uh, yeah I, I think I like Courtney this week for a bounce back performance.
0: I do not confidently make this pick, but I am picking myself to win. Uh, I originally was thinking that I was going to pick Courtney. And then I saw when I was counting her starts that again, half of the eight are coming from her worst two pitchers in the rotation, uh, Desclafani and Montas. And that kind of swayed my opinion back to Picking me to come out as the winner of this matchup, so be interesting for sure to watch this one. We both agreed that it was the best matchup, so I'm excited as somebody partaking in the matchup. I'm sure uh, you and others are excited to see who comes out on top for that one. Pine Run Market versus JC. I have JC winning this matchup. Who do you have?
1: I have JC as well. I think I kind of detailed why earlier when we when I talked about it. Yep, I think it's
0: going to be tough uh, until Bellinger. And or Yelich, but especially not both uh, being in uh, Nick's lineup is going to be tough for him to pull out a win without either one of those two guys. So I think as long as those two guys are hurt, it's it's going to be it's going to be tough to pick him as the winner against you know a competent team because I think that those are very clearly his his biggest two strengths for Pine Run Market. So I also have JC, like I said. Uh, your matchup with Jerwin. are you going to go as far as to pick Jerwin to pull off the
1: upset? I think that I am. I'm going to stick to what I said earlier. I think that the Jerwin's uh, extra starts from his aces are going to kind of be the equalizer here. Uh, so I think that um, unless maybe DeGrom or Cole decides that they're going to play hero ball again, <laughs> I think that uh, Burns and Giolito can outpace them and then Anderson and some of his other two starters or two start starters are kind of kind of be the equalizer here. So I'm going to pick Jerwin.
0: I did see earlier today that Jacob Degrom and Garrett Cole are, as expected, the number one and number two overall starting pitchers. So things are going according to plan for you there. I'm picking you to come out of this matchup, if for no other reason than you are six and zero. Jerwin is zero and six, and Picking Jerwin's team to win has not worked so far, so I'm going to pick against it, I guess, until he either faces a super weak team or actually pulls off the upset. So hopefully some reverse psychology good luck for Jerwin. Next matchup is Team Andrew Bomb 12 versus Kenny Ross Mercedes. Who do you have coming out as the winner of this matchup?
1: All right, so just a little... I'm just going to throw out a number here. So it's been 617 days since Jordan's last regular season head-to-head win, which came in 2019, week 19. And I think that that streak gets broken this week.
0: That's pretty significant. I did not realize that, but I guess I should have known because he did not record a single win last year. And he's lost all of his head-to-head matchups thus far this season. That is impressive. That has to make it into the record book.
1: I could say it's only been I could say it's been eight matchups but 617 days sounds way more impressive.
0: Yeah, you have to make you have to put it into the record book exactly as you said it. I don't know I don't think that there's that's a record that will ever be broken.
1: And no, it might get extended. So,
0: yeah. Technically it will get extended because we're not going to know if he's going to win for another what? 6 days. So that's true. It'll be like waited, 623 days one. or something. At minimum. I'm kind of rooting for bomb, but I picked now that you said that I'm kind of rooting for bomb. No offense, Jordan, but I did pick Jordan to come out of this matchup. So I also think that that streak will be ended. Uh, I'm interested to see how high that number can climb. (laughs) Next matchup, big money, Mike versus TP prez. This was actually an honorable mention for me for best matchup of the week. I have big money, Mike coming out of this matchup as the winner. Um, I know that he crushed Courtney last week and really anybody that he would have possibly played. He would have crushed them. And Sam put up one of the worst performances across the entire league, if not the worst performance. But I do think that Sam has a strong team. I think that Mike's team is not as strong as 398 points over seven days would indicate. So I think that this is going to be a close matchup. I'm picking big money, Mike, to be the winner. Who do you got Jake?
1: I I agree with you. I think it'll be a good matchup, but I cannot possibly pick against Mike after the week that he just just put up. I can't possibly pick against him.
0: You said the same of Courtney, and then she went on and, and got crushed by the man that you're saying the same thing against now. So again, we have seen crazy things happen. I would agree with you in this case, but I would not be shocked by anything at this point our last matchup of the week, we have Eddie gone forever versus Brendan Cleveland white males. Who do you have emerging victorious from this last matchup?
1: I think Brendan rebounds this week. Um, I, I like Brendan's overall team a lot more. Uh, I think that he, the little, the boost that he got with getting Savale is going to help. And, uh, I guess we'll see if please Zach can rebound. I believe he has two, two starts this week. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm picking Brendan.
0: I also have Brendan as the winner coming out of this matchup. I think, just like you said, he has done a really great job uh, changing up his roster and kind of addressing team needs and team weaknesses through through trade so far since the draft. Uh, and I, I'll give credit, actually, to say that Brendan was the one that, I'll say, opened my eyes to what I could get for my Ada versus the production that he was actually giving me. I didn't even really have much thought about moving Maeda before this past weekend. I thought, I have enough starting pitchers that I can just sit on him until he busts out of his slump, and then I'll be able to use him uh, to play the matchups along with my other six or seven good starting pitchers, just like I planned to in the first place. Brendan texted me, asking me what my price was on Maeda, and even though I didn't ultimately trade him to Brendan, it did get me thinking, hey, what could I get out of Kenta Maeda to address a team need since he's not really of any use to me right now anyway. So Brendan wasn't the guy that ultimately landed Maeda, but he was the guy that kind of perked my ears to see what I could really get for him and, and kind of listen to offers for him. So hats off to Brendan there. Let's. Uh, you already kind of gave us one historical fact with with Jordan streak but let's jump to our league history fact of the week or this week in league history what do you got for us Jake
1: uh, so Jordan streak was originally going to be the thing but uh I there there was something else significant that happened so Eddie versus Sam narrowly missed out on being the closest game in league history by less than two points uh they were 3.9 points apart the record is 2.2 points apart but they did capture a new record and that was the lowest scoring game in league history, with a matchup total of two hundred and eighty-seven point seven points. Uh, the previous record was held by Jerwin and Brian, and that was in two thousand seventeen with a record or with a total of three hundred and five point seven points scored.
0: So they beat it by what is that eighteen points? So not even, I mean, close but not close.
1: When yeah, you consider the first, yeah. two
0: teams had the had had the chance to make up eighteen points. Mm-hmm. That's that's impressive, and I've noticed, Jake, and I don't know if it's just me, we have not changed any of our scoring settings. That's correct? None. Is it just me, or are we seeing lower uh, point totals across the board through this first month of the season? I felt like in the past, we would see multiple 300-point scores every single week. It seems like this year... We're only seeing the same number of teams clear the 200-point threshold, and it's more common to see kind of a half, a 50-50 split between those under 200 points and those over
1: 200 points. Is that just me? Uh, I don't think it is. I believe that scoring is down, but I kind of just attributed it to we have 12 teams now before we had 10, so the distribution of good players is kind of spread more spread out. yeah. It's just going to cause scoring overall to be a little lower because all the teams are, are going to be worse.
0: I hadn't considered that. And that's, that's a pretty straightforward reason explanation as to why I was wondering about that for like each of the first three weeks. And I just hadn't really asked anybody about it. I just kind of thought maybe it's just me, but that's interesting. Congratulations to Sam and Eddie for being record holders together. (laughs) 287 combined points in your matchup. I'm not sure that that one will be broken unless we expand again to like 14 team, but let's go ahead and wrap up the episode with our news and notes segment. Jake Juan Soto was placed on the injured list with a strained right shoulder. What kind of weird reverse psychology is baseball playing on us where it's actually all of the elite hitters. Uh, juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, Jr. Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger, George Springer, et cetera, They're the ones getting injured rather than the starting pitchers. I feel like in the past you normally see a couple, maybe one or two or three big gun starting pitchers go down early in the season. And I'm not saying that these guys are out for the whole season, but we definitely are seeing a lot more elite hitters get injured in proportion to the elite starting pitchers this year. What gives?
1: I don't, I don't know, but I'm not a fan of this development because, because it, it's only more fuel for, uh, for next year, whenever to, to kind of have those better starting pitchers get pushed even farther up the board. So I'm not really a, not really a fan of that.
0: Yeah, I don't. I guess it totally depends on, like, think guys like Christian Yelich. I know that he just had an MRI and nothing significant came of it. Let's say he goes down with a back injury three weeks from now after he is back in playing for two weeks and this one will keep him out for two months. Not saying that that's going to happen. But let's just say And Cody Bellinger, we already know that he is expected to be out for probably at least a month, maybe multiple months. Uh, those are really the only two, I would say severe cases of injury and Christian Yelich's is really just a hypothetical case that I could see maybe starting pitching, getting pushed up the board even further than it already has. I don't really know. How it could possibly be pushed up even more than it already has, maybe because you're going to see Cole, DeGrom, Snell, Bauer, all these guys maybe get, they're going to get released back into the draft pool. I don't know the effect that that's going to have on the draft. Um, I don't know the effect that these elite hitter injuries are going to have on the, what effect that they're going to have on the draft. Time will tell. I would be surprised if this was the reason, I guess, is the, is the long winded version of what I'm trying to say. Um, but it, it, it could be. We'll see. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu. He was removed from his start yesterday with a minor right glute strain, a.k.a. what Twitter is calling a pain in his ass. While he says that he expects to make his next start, he had the same exact injury in 2017 when he was pitching with the Dodgers, and he was placed on, at that time, what was called the 15-day disabled list man we are we're still young but we're getting old jake since it's now the 10-day injured list hyunjin ryu is 34 years old and he has only topped 100 inning pitch 100 innings pitched i think just three times in his mlb career do you have any concerns about his longevity this season in light of this minor injury especially when you compound it with the abbreviated 2020 season
1: uh, not really, because I didn't expect him to get a lot of volume this year anyway. It's just because he's never really done that. So, I mean, I, I think that I, I sort of expected him to max out at about 150 innings. But I, I thought that they were going to be quality innings. I, I, he's been good so far. But I, I think anybody coming into the year thinking Ryu is going to give them uh, a lot of volume, um, I think that was kind of the wrong the wrong thought process. He's never really been that guy.
0: Sure. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a good expectation to have, and, and I guess it would make sense that this minor injury would not change that expectation. It's kind of like Zach Gallen's injury that he miraculously came back from in like two weeks, where I mentioned at the very beginning of the season, this could be a case of he was already only going to get 150 to 160 innings based on what the Diamondbacks were going to manage for him. And this injury just may let him come back and go those 150 or 160 uninterrupted as opposed to him being shut down in the middle. Uh, Time will tell how it plays out for Gallon because he came back way sooner than I think anybody in the world expected aside from the Diamondbacks. So maybe I might have you in that over-under bet. (laughs) We'll see. But again, I think probably the right mindset with Ryu here is that if you already expected that his workload was going to be limited, that this probably doesn't change things. But if you did expect like an Aces workload, yeah, I don't I don't know that this injury is going to change that, but I don't necessarily think that that was the right mindset in the first place like you mentioned, Jake. Let's move on to uh, non-injuries, but, but some young and exciting starting pitchers. Let's talk about Sparps, which are guys that have both SP and RP eligibility in our league. Ryan Weathers and Michael Kopeck both made their first starts of the season recently. And like I mentioned, both have dual eligibility on the pitching side of the ball. Kopech posted a five innings pitched, four hits, one earned run, 10 strikeouts and zero walks line in his start. Ryan Weathers posted a five and two thirds innings pitched, One hit, zero earned runs, six strikeouts, one walk line, in his start. Jake, do you anticipate both of these guys being top Sparps moving forward?
1: I think so. I feel more confident. Kopech uh, is a little bit, the prospect pedigree is a little higher. He also, I believe, has a deeper repertoire. Um, But I actually do like, I think it's weird. It's going to sound like this is contradictory. But I prefer Weathers right now. Even though I do have more confidence in Kopac, I guess that's just the role. Um, Kopec is not going to be a starter right now. Uh, who knows when that's going to when he when he'll be in the rotation? Uh, but I think that Weathers has has a spot right now. So uh, I do anticipate both of them being being good. Uh, I just ha- I have more confidence in Kopac, but I would prefer Weathers right now. It's kind of a sounds contradictory, but prefer the talent of Kopech, but you prefer the
0: opportunity for Weathers. Yeah. Sure. That makes sense to me. And uh, I guess until the opportunity situation changes with Kopech, that would indicate that, I guess you already said it pretty plainly, but that you would rather have Ryan Weathers for the purposes of fantasy right now as a SPARP. So I would agree. I think Kopech has always been a a high pedigree a high pedigree pitching prospect. I chose him as my favorite pick of Jerwin's draft, and I let him know as such after he posted that really good line and his start, I texted Jerwin and said, your boy Kopek just just lit it up. And uh, he agreed that that was one of his favorite picks of his draft. So I think should the opportunity present itself for him to become a full-time member of the starting starting rotation for the White Sox, I would agree that, that he would be the guy to have, but you know, as of right now, and I, I know I'm giving a long-winded version of saying I agree for pretty much all of these answers that you've given me, but just to expand and elaborate to give you my thoughts on the matter as well. Kind of related to Ryan Weathers, the reason why he has a rotation spot right now is because De Nelson Lamette just got hurt. So after a troublesome postseason, in which he was shut down due to issues in, his, in the forearm of his throwing arm, followed by a troublesome offseason in which he didn't even throw his best pitch at all for fear of injuring his arm, and I'm talking about his slider, which was one of the best pitches in baseball last year. Nelson Lamette finally made his season debut this past week, but was unfortunately removed after 29 pitches in the outing, or you guessed it, a forearm injury. Jake, the Padres seem to suggest that Denelson Lamette should be available to make his next start, and it seems like he is not going to be able to, at least in my opinion, throw his slider, which is the best of his two primary pitches that he uses, without injuring himself. So, Jake, I ask you, is Denelson Lamette toast?
1: Uh, Well, if there's no such thing as a one-pitch pitcher, so if that's what he is, then, then yeah. But... I mean like how the, the, the Padres must have hired like the Yankees medical staff or something because this situation is just is just mind-boggling that he it was bad enough that they had to remove him from that they he wasn't able to pitch in the playoffs and now it's still still an issue like at what point do they just say we got to get we got to give him Tommy John at what point is that the answer
0: What I don't understand is why would they shut down Mike Clevenger who is older, and I presume that they have less years of control of Mike Clevenger and say, We're going to shut him down for the playoffs. We're not going to be able to use him at all in 2021. But hey, in 2022, if he can come back and be a top 25 or 20 starting pitcher, that's A OK with us. That'll be well within our title contention window. Why they didn't do that for a guy that was younger. And again, I don't know that their I don't know their contract situation. I don't have it up in front of me, but presumably they have more years of control over why they didn't do the exact same thing for him at the exact same time. I totally don't understand it, especially given how much starting pitching depth that they have. Uh, but yeah, I think that they are delaying the inevitable, which is that Nelson Lemet is probably going to have to get Tommy John surgery. And I just hope because I think that it's a lot of fun to watch the Padres. I would not mind rooting for them in the postseason, assuming that the Pirates are not there, which they are definitely not going to be there in the next two years. I hope that it doesn't hurt their chances to actually contend for a title uh, this year slash next, because I think that these next two years, especially next year, if they were to have all of those starting pitchers healthy, would be their very best chance to win a title. So I hope it doesn't come back to bite them. I think it will. And I kind of feel bad for Denelso Met. I think that his career is, you know, what success he had last year, which was a lot, is going to be flushed down the drain with with how badly they're mismanaging him right now. So it's a shame to see that. Jake, any closing thoughts before we end episode five?
1: I'm glad to be back. Uh, hopefully, we'll get another guest host on here pretty soon, and I'll I'll be able to participate with uh, with three people on here. So that'll be fun.
0: Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I I think we are going to have somebody on next week. And so that would be our first three host episode. I'm looking forward to that, but thanks everyone for listening to episode five of the fantasy baseball edition of the best player wins podcast. Appreciate your support, your feedback and are glad to hear that some of you guys are enjoying it every single week. So thanks again. And we will see you on the next one.